0: Namihi Nui. I'm Alison Balance, and welcome to this hour Changing World podcast from RNZ. I'm off to Scion to find out about biocontrol and the science of introducing one exotic species to control another unwanted species. Entomologists Tony Withers and Andrew Pugh are my guides, and we're off to a very secure building.
1: Tony, can you tell me where we are and why you're rummaging in the freezer? We're in Scion's Rotorua Insect Containment Facility. And to let you in here, Alison, we have to dress you from top to toe. With (laughs) clothes that you have in the freezer. Yes, protective clothing, which we then freeze on our way back out, just in case something's crawled onto you. Righty-ho. If you'd just like to make yourself comfortable and pull on your booties, over your shoes... ...and pop on these overalls, then we'll be good to go on the inside. Oh,
0: and yes, frozen Tyvek overalls are cold to put on. But once we're all looking quite glamorous in our ballooning white overalls, we can proceed.
1: So Alison, this is the inner sanctum, we call it, fondly, from which our six containment rooms open off... So behind each locked door is a different type of organism, and most of them have to have some type of containment according to whether they're new to New Zealand, or we're examining them with a new to New Zealand organism.:
2: Into the airlock.:
1: So there really is an airlock.
2: Mm-hmm, absolutely yes. Yeah. to keep negative pressure, so any organism can't, can't escape. and one door open at a time. Oh.
1: So what is going on in this room? What's been going on in here over the last few years has been host specificity testing of a parasitoid from Tasmania called Edia denieris, And we've been evaluating this parasitoid as to find out whether it would be safe to introduce into New Zealand for attacking the larvae of the eucalyptus tortoise beetle. So tell me about the eucalyptus tortoise beetle, it's obviously something we don't want. Yes, but it's been here for quite some time. It's one of the largest of the tortoise beetles, and they've all evolved to eat eucalyptus trees back in Australia. And because of the history of trade of logs and trees between Australia and New Zealand, they quite quickly made themselves at home here. Not every eucalypt is eaten by the tortoise beetle, but a lot of the ones that are really good and important for our pulp and paper industry and our solid wood industry and now also a growing industry for growing ground durable poles and the eucalyptus tortoise beetle just loves the leaves of all those species and we really need something better to try and knock its population back. So what does it end up doing, defoliating the trees? Yes, it does. The larvae and the adults defoliate the leaves. So between two generations each year, one in the spring and one in the summer, they can do a lot of damage.
0: So tell me about the the thing of biocontrol. So you're looking to introduce something
1: else that's like a natural enemy. That's correct. Yep, we went back to Tasmania and had a good look at the tortoise beetles over there and looked at all the natural enemies that were attacking it. And we've already got now in New Zealand two little parasitoids that attack the egg stage. And they're doing pretty well, really. They're doing the best that they can. But there's none of the agents that attack the larvae have made it to New Zealand. So we needed to purposely introduce one of those. So when were the egg control agents introduced? In the 80s. And when did
0: you start this project? This project
1: we started seven years ago. And a PhD student who'd been studying the leaf beetles in Tasmania um, located and learnt a lot more about this parasitoid called Edia. And there's one in particular that we've been rearing here and host testing against a whole lot of Chrysomalid beetles that are in New Zealand.
0: Okay, so you're allowed to bring some
1: into New Zealand, but that's why they're in this containment facility, because you don't want them to get out at the moment. Yes, we can't let the wasp get out while we test it against the different beetles. So we brought, one at a time, we brought all our New Zealand beetles of interest into the containment facility and tested their babies against the wasp to see whether the parasitoid wasp would attack those little larvae. So
0: how many New Zealand species is that?
1: This was quite an interesting exercise. We had to look at the over 100 species of beetles that are in New Zealand and work out which ones were the most important to host test. So we ended up testing two pests and six species of weed biocontrol agent. So they're the beneficial beetles that have been brought into New Zealand to chomp on various weeds, such as Tradescantia and Heather and Broom. So um, Landcare research, the, my colleagues who work there were very helpful in helping us to get colonies of those helpful beetles so that we could test their babies.
0: To make sure the, the ones that we've already introduced didn't get
1: attacked. Yes, Fair enough. there's no way they want to have those beetles munched on. So we were able to test those. But most important of all is the native beetles. And the more we looked into them, we found out that there's over 40 species of native beetle But almost nothing is known about them. In some cases, there's only been one or two individuals caught from someone who was out at night, who was perhaps beating ferns at the top of a mountain in, in the Southern Alps. And so we didn't know anything about their life cycle. We looked at the literature around some of the biggest beetles, and we decided that the best place to go to have a look to see if we could find those beetles and bring them into the laboratory was to go to the South Island and Kaharangi National Park was looked like the most interesting quite a few beetles had been caught on Mount Arthur so that was the point where I talked to my colleagues Andrew and others and said right you are heading up into the mountains let's see if we can find any of these beetles
0: you got to go bush, Andrew.
2: <laughs> yeah, we went up for uh, for about a week into into Kahare National Park, lugging around not only the usual the usual hiking gear, but also you know our beating trays and all our collecting equipment. Some pretty long days, as well as night searching. Explain to me what beating involves. We had a few plant species of interest um, before we went, but not a lot of information. So we placed the beating sheet underneath it and we literally whack that plant five times with, with this sturdy stick and see what falls off.
0: Right, and the reason the sheet is white is so you can actually see what you've yep, got on exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. So how did it go? Did you start finding things straight away? Was it a bit frustrating?
2: Our first day we had a little bit of luck. We found a single larvae, but it was from a host plant, a hebe in fact, that was not recorded at all for what we were looking at, and so we thought maybe we're actually just barking up the wrong tree with this, and, and kind of it, kind of ignored it actually at first, um, and carried on searching other species. But then on the third day, funnily enough, right behind the um, the Mount Arthur hut we were staying in, we hit this huge load of finding about 200 larvae in this one site. And, I mean, our, our permit only allows collect to collect 20. Um, from each site, so we had to, to range further and go higher and, and longer.
0: How many were you trying to collect? What was your goal?
2: We needed probably a good 100 and to really do any sort of meaningful host testing back here in containment. And you obviously knew what they looked like?
1: Well, no, we didn't really. When Andrew first came across these black larvae, uh, one evening I, I got a text with a picture saying, what do you think this could be? So I, I raced into the laboratory and, and showed our other colleague and said, do you think these could possibly be one of these native chrysomalid larvae? And he said, yes, I think they are. So then we sent a text back saying, yes, yes, collect more, collect more. But we didn't, we couldn't really be certain what they'd collected until they brought the larvae back to the lab and we were able to rear them through to adult.
0: So you just opened a large plastic box...
1: Yes, this is our little colony, laboratory colony of what we discovered to be called Alicaris, near or close to Tarsalis. So does this
0: group of beetles have a common name?
1: We've decided to assign a common name of our own to it. (laughs) Because the host plant is Veronica albicans, which used to be previously known to us all as hebes. we've called it the Veronica leaf beetle, It's nothing official, that's just... A working
0: title. Yeah, that's
1: just a term of endearment.
0: Then what happened? You needed to get them reproducing in the lab so that you had multiple generations
1: that you could work with? Well, I I was actually able to work with the larvae that Andrew brought back, and we put them, as precious as they were, we immediately put them into cages with these nasty parasitoid wasps to see whether they would get attacked. Some of them had to sacrifice their lives for science, which was a bit sad for them.
0: But how many ended up sacrificing their lives? Because obviously what you were trying to do was to work out whether they were very vulnerable to this wasp, so you would have been hoping not too many of them died.
1: That's right. A few of them did die. Um, When we forced the wasp in really close contact with the larvae, some of them got stung. What it did was the, the parasitoid didn't kill them, but when they had a little parasitoid larva inside them, they didn't pupate so they were kind of stuck in a certain life stage so their immune system must have recognised that there was something foreign inside their body and it did affect them so we had to euthanise those ones and when we dissected them we found evidence of the attempted parasitism so that's called not being a complete physiological host for the parasitoid but it was disappointing that the parasitoid some of the individuals did recognise that they were a larva that was worth having a go at stinging.
0: So what does that mean in terms of your assessment of the risk to the native beetle?
1: Well, because they can't rear through on the native beetle, they'll never form a population that could adapt to or like the flavour of those larvae. So the only risk would be if an odd or a stray parasitoid somehow got blown on a wind gust up into the national park and happened to blunder upon one of these larvae. The risk is low, although it's not zero.
0: So that was a successful test as far as you're concerned? Well, it
1: was. I mean, getting some data that we could then present um, to the public and to eventually the Environmental Protection Authority, that was just so important. So these little larvae have ended up just being such a crucial part of our project. So you don't need them for the main project anymore? No, we don't, but because they've been in this room, we can't actually let these ones out unless we applied for special permission. So what's
0: going to happen with them?
2: At this stage, it's... it's more of a a keen interest in trying to work out a bit more about their biology and how they work we put them in the fridge seeing as they're a subalpine species thinking that we might it's a
0: bit colder up in the subalpine yeah
2: exactly Um, we thought we might sort of overwinter them and get them to to have a little have a little snooze over winter and then maybe bring them out in the summer and see if we could breed them but what actually happened is within a few weeks they started laying some eggs, and so we got even more offspring that we, we didn't really anticipate.
1: Do you have any of those wasps I can have a quick look at? The only live parasitoids that we have at this time of year, because we're here in the winter, is they're all safely in their little pupil cocoons. These wasps, you pulled one out with tweezers. They're about fingernail size. They're black. We call it medium size, but it's it's quite a decent size Parasitoid. It would cover your fingernail, but it's a very delicate. They are. They're very delicate, and they've got um, an orangey red head and a black body.
0: And they've got a very skinny wasp waist.
1: Yes, that's right. And the females have got a slender ovipositor. And when they—that's what she
0: lays the eggs. That's with. right.
1: When she when she sees and smells a larva that she recognizes as her host, she'll run up to the larva and bend her abdomen between her legs and sting the ovipositor into the larva quite quickly but she has to maintain contact for about one second for the egg to pass down her ovipositor and into the larva and then she pulls it out and runs away and looks for another one
0: So she can lay a number of eggs in a
1: number of different larvae? Yes, she's got hundreds of eggs in her in her abdomen all going well and she lives for a couple of weeks so each female can do quite a good job of stinging a number of, of larvae. And that's, that's what we want them to, to be doing here in New Zealand. And the most outstanding feature for me is those very long antennae. So that's what she's using to help find the larvae? Yes, and they seem to be very attracted to the smell of the larvae that have been feeding on the eucalyptus. So when we put these parasitoids in with our non-target larvae, they showed almost no interest at all. Sometimes they walked over the weed by a control larvae and didn't even recognise that they were a larva. It was as if it was just a lump in the leaf. But you, but even if we have have some paropsis, the eucalyptus tortoise beetle excrement, some poo on our fingers from handling the tortoise beetles, from feeding them... If we put our hand in the cage with the wasps, the wasps get so excited, they'll come and land on our fingers and and either attempt to sting our fingers that are smeared in the poo or they'll they'll be busy trying to find the larvae. So they're very tuned to the cues that the, the paropsis tortoise beetle provides. This photograph, Alison, shows the offspring, the larva of the parasitoid wasp, pushing out of the dead paropsis tortoise beetle body. So after they've consumed all the inside of the tortoise beetle larva, they then squeeze out like something out of that Aliens movie.
0: So pretty much the wasps are laying their eggs in a ready-made food supply. Here you go, here's a nice thing that will be both a home and your food supply for you, off you go.
1: Absolutely right, yep. The larva does all the feeding and the wasp just lays in there and and chews, and it feeds within the larva for about 24 days before the poor old larva starts feeling a bit the worse for wear, turns a strange colour, and then within a day or two, the little parasitoid grub pushes its way out.
0: Thanks, Tony. That was entomologist Tony Withers from Scion, and we also heard from Andrew Pugh. The proposal to introduce the parasitic wasp EDIA to New Zealand to control eucalyptus tortoise beetle is going to the Environmental Protection Agency and will be open for public submissions soon. I'm Alison Balance and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ National on the 9th of August 2018. If you'd like to listen to this story again, check out the photos or find more stories to listen to. Just truck along to our webpage rnz.co.nz slash our changing world. You can sign up for our weekly email newsletter there too and find our contact details. We are available on the RNZ app and we are RNZ Our Changing World on your favourite podcast provider. We post links to all our stories on Twitter and Facebook where we are RNZ Science. Bye for now. Matewa.